Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, Ben Carollo, host of Galaxy Brain. She streams on Twitch as Bleep Block Ben, writer, TYT contributor, extraordinary person. Let me give you some insight into an amazing story of police officers and other jurisdictions working together to save the life of one person. Let's put up this deputy's picture for a mask. Okay, here's what happened. A woman was dangling on the edge of a courtroom roof. She went on top of the roof. She was going to jump. Guess what? She didn't. You know why? Because that deputy stepped in. That deputy was told by this individual who was going through a mental health crisis, that deputy was told to take off his clothes, to disarm himself, and to eat a sandwich in 60 seconds or less that she handed him. He did all of it. He did it all to save her life. His name is Deputy Nicholas Reynolds. He's with the Fortune County Sheriff's Office. Let's show the graphic of the young lady on the roof. Now we've blurred out her image for multiple reasons. Number one, she stripped down naked. Number two, I believe she's a mental health victim who was going through an issue and had her life saved. Let's show the next graphic of the deputy after he took off his shirt, got on his knees. Now let me explain the situation right here. This right here, this should be an example to every law enforcement agency in the country and beyond. You have a deputy who has come out to the roof. He was told by the young lady experiencing a mental health crisis to take off his shirt. He did. He was told by this same young lady to disarm himself. He did. She was eating a sandwich and she handed him a sandwich and said, eat it in 60 seconds or less. And he did. He did everything. She asked him to do. There's no uh, guidebook or training that says this is how you must do it. None of this was in a protocol dynamic whatsoever. You know, this deputy could have went to that roof and said, ma'am, I can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. Ma'am, put your hands up. Get off the roof. Atlanta deputies helped a woman in a mental health crisis who had threatened to jump from the top of the Fulton County Courthouse Thursday afternoon. Sheriff Labatt said around 4.30 p.m. his department was alerted to a woman who was possibly trying to jump off of the roof of the courthouse. Let's put up a picture of Sheriff Labatt. The reason why the deputy felt comfortable doing everything he did to preserve life is because he knew his leadership would back him. See, Sheriff Labatt is a new sheriff. Before he was sheriff, he was the chief corrections officer. He was chief of corrections for the city of Atlanta. Well, he created a program that actually transitioned the incarcerated individuals into work for the city while they were incarcerated and they were paid full wages as some of them left his facility with over $20,000 and a home 
purchase. He created that program, one of the leading programs in the nation. He ran for sheriff and won. It's called being compassionate. It's called humanity. There's more. She told me she did not speak a lot of Spanish, but we were able to communicate a little bit. Since some words sound the same in Portuguese in Spanish, and I tried to calm her down, said Bayez, who is working on her master's in criminal justice at Georgia State University. She also works as an advocate in the Solicitor General's office and said she was committed to doing what she could do to help. Let's put up a picture of the Solicitor General. Let's put up his picture. His name is Keith Gamage. Keith Gamage, his office is the office that alerted the sheriff and the sheriff's office that this was happening and provided a way to communicate with this young lady. When she saw that I had a sandwich, she asked me to throw it at her, but do not get close. Just to throw it at her and I kept talking to her, trying to calm her down, said Baez. When the woman demanded Deputy Nicholas Reynolds remove his shirt, his safety vest and his weapons, he complied. She then handed him his sandwich and told him to eat it. She said, I had 60 seconds to eat it. And I was just trying to build her confidence. So I ate it quickly, says the deputy, because she was naked. I could see that she did not have a weapon. So as she reached for my vest that I already had taken off, that's when I knew I could reach for her. And the other deputies came in behind me to pull her from the ledge. I was relieved when it was over, but really it just comes down to staying calm and have good training, said the deputy who's been a negotiator for two and a half years with the Fulton County Sheriff's Office. In my eyes, Deputy Reynolds is a hero, they all are, said Sheriff Labatt. Let's put that picture up again of the deputy with no shirt on, on his knees eating a sandwich next to a woman that is threatening to jump off of the roof. Do you see, she's actually on the ledge. He was close enough to where if she would have grabbed him, he would have died. He abandoned all, all of his personal safety measures to save her life. There's more to this story. Sheriff Labatt said the courthouse was locked down in part to make sure no one walked out the door about eight stores below Central Avenue side of the courthouse, Atlanta police and Atlanta Fire Rescue were notified and the sheriff's office established a command post. Sheriff Labatt said the Fulton County Solicitor General's office also assisted, as I just mentioned, that agencies worked together to lock down the area and deploy an airbag on the ground. Once again, another safety measure to preserve life. Sheriff Labatt provided drone video of the rescue, Channel 2 News blurred to protect the woman's privacy. Uh, the person who had the story first was actually Portia Bruner of Fox 5 News, and she did a remarkable job getting all the elements of this story put together, all right? While the agencies were working to rescue the woman, the sheriff learned that she spoke Portuguese. They quickly rushed translators to help crisis negotiator Nicholas Reynolds, the deputy, communicate with her. Sheriff Labatt said it was Reynolds who was able to grab the woman and get her to safety. He put himself in harm's way. He is a hero for doing so, the sheriff said. The sheriff also commended Fulton County Sheriff Sergeant Tamara Lee, Deputy Kelsey Avila, 
Atlanta police officer Adriana Torres and the DA's victim advocate Dilma Dos Reyes, Reyes for the roles they played helping the woman. Of compassion goes along with the understanding that this is a tough time in our community. The sheriff said, it's tough, it's a tough time across America. I could not, could not be more proud of Deputy Reynolds and the entire team. I get choked up giving you this story because not only did they save her life, you gotta think about the culture involved. Everybody responded the same way, everybody, everybody responded with one thing in mind. What do we need to do to preserve her life? I mean, great example, but you gotta look at this also. After they preserved her life, after this deputy stripped down and disarmed himself and got close enough where he was in danger, ate her sandwich in 60 seconds or less, did everything she requested. After this happened, every department agreed this woman will not be charged with any crime whatsoever. They did something even more than that. They got in touch with her family. Remember, she was at court thinking this was going to be the worst day of her life. They got in touch with her family so that she could have a connection back to her family. And then they engaged wraparound mental health services so that she would be secured where she should be, which is to get help, not to be incarcerated, not a single charge. That's the example. Being thoughts. Yeah, this is just really amazing because it just goes to show like what the difference makes. Because this is really contrary to the way most police across America are trained. Most police across America are trained to respond with a sense of urgency and like concern for their own safety from a position of authority, right? Where they're inpatient, they demand control over the situation when I think we can recognize that like obviously she wanted to feel safe in that situation. Like she was obviously going through a lot, but you know, you see a police officer show up with a gun, you're gonna be a little bit concerned, right? Uh, even in that state. And so like instead of coming from a position of no, I'm the police officer, you have to do what I say, like he came from a position of like compassion and understanding and patience, right? And recognizing that the goal is to make sure that she is kept safe. That's the whole reason that they were called in the first place. And I think the most like heartening part about this is the fact that the leadership was actually on board with this, that the leadership was actually on board with this because there have actually been other instances in the United States across the country where police officers have responded with patience, have responded with understanding and kindness and you know hesitated in moments in ways that have saved people's lives. And then they've been reprimanded by their police chiefs. They've been reprimanded by their peers. And it just creates this culture of, you know, like, um, you know how how dare you? You know you should never put your life in even the tiniest amount of risk, no matter what. You should always be the person that's in charge, and that type of impatient response sort of shuts off any type of understanding. And then the follow up where she's not charged with any crime and you reach out to their family, that's how it should be, right? We should have, if we're gonna have a system of public safety, it should seek to involve members of the community and people's family member to make sure that there's not just a one instance of an interaction, but there's actually a long term process of helping people move past moments like this in their life. And it's also very great that they're respecting the privacy of this person because, you know, I think we all would understand that having a really bad day uh, and then having that bad day put on TV 
makes that bad day a heck of a lot worse. Yeah. And so all around, this is just, I think, exemplary. Yeah, I applaud everybody. Um, another dynamic about uh, Keith Gamage, the solicitor um, who's in charge of misdemeanor prosecutions for the county. When he ran for office in Fulton County, he ran on a restorative justice platform where he wanted to restore and redeem individuals, create preventative measures, uh, make sure that there's a mental health dynamic connected to individuals who may find themselves caught up in an adverse um, reaction with law enforcement. Well, every single one of those departments today show that that uh, that the world or that at least American policing can be quite different when applied differently. All right. Very sad situation. The family of Jacob Blake and Brianna Taylor, they have been arrested. They have been arrested. Let me take you to the video. Here it is. No, keep watching him. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's Jacob Blake Sr. That's Jacob Blake Sr. You know who that is, right? Okay, I'm going. I'm pressing, you dumb bitch. I'm pressing. That's Jacob Blake Sr. right there. That's Jacob Blake Sr. That's Jacob Blake Sr. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. She's stuck. She can't do anything. She can't do anything. She can't do anything, you guys. She's stuck. Man, you guys. Tragic. Let's put up both of their pictures. I'm going to give you the background as to what happened here. During a protest, protesting the police killing of Jalen Walker. We've been talking about this all week in Ohio. Relatives of black people who have been harmed or killed by the police were taken into custody, which includes Brianna Taylor's aunt, Bianca Austin, and Jacob Blake's father, Jacob Blake Sr. All right. The Akron Police Department carried out these arrests. According to the Twitter used that tweeted the video we just saw, they stated in the tweet, 7622. The moment the police moved in, Bianca Austin was manhandled. Me and Cortez Rice were bare maced. Activist pressure was assaulted. He had his head slammed on the ground. The truck and was punched by cops and Jacob Blake Sr. was pinned. Hashtag Jalen Walker. This is from the Family Soups TV Twitter account. Now, literally, you have individuals who have suffered significant loss and damage, hurt, pain, 
because of law enforcement. And what are they doing with that energy? They are literally coming to the rescue of others throughout this country in order to provide connection, in order to provide solidarity. And what happens? They get arrested in the most violent of ways. There's more to this story. Blake Sr. and Austin traveled together to Ohio through Families United, a group seeking greater accountability for police brutality and shootings. Blake Sr.'s family member, Justin Blake, said, Families United was founded by Blake Sr. and Austin to also give families who have gone through the shock and trauma, mental support and help with lawyers and the law. Very noble, right? They were sitting together in a van when they witnessed a man being punched in the face by police during the protest. That's according to Justin Blake. They both got out of the vehicles to question the police before they were confronted by officers, Justin Blake said. They were down there supporting the family and the community when this thing occurred and when the brutality turned on them. Blake Sr. was severely beaten by officers and WSA transported to a hospital in police custody, according to political activist Fred Hampton. All right, there's more. Several people were taken into custody as police said anyone downtown during the protest would be subject to arrest. So this is them enforcing some ridiculous curfew. Um, the municipal court records confirmed Jason, Jacob Blake Sr. was arrested on four counts. Here are the four counts, riot, resisting arrests, Failure to disperse and disorderly conduct. Bianca Austin, Taylor's aunt, was charged with three counts. Riot, failure to disperse and disorderly conduct. Austin is currently a confirmed inmate at Summit County Jail, while Blake Sr. is still at the hospital. And a bench warrant has been issued for his arrest while he is at the hospital, okay? Let's put up these pictures, all right? This is interesting here. This type of treatment from that local police department is not new. It has now been reported that some of the members of the police force are members of a white supremacist gang known as Tango 22. That has been reported. So you have this screenshot from Baby the Divine Twitter account highlighting this dynamic. Jamie Sugar and Nathaniel Milstead, both of Stowe, S-T-O-W, were united in marriage June 25th at Martin Luther, at the Martin Luther Lutheran Church in Youngstown. All right, uh, he was a police officer with that police department, the Akron Police Department, and a member of the SWAT team, okay? And there's more information online making these connections. It is fascinating, it is fascinating that every witness who has gone on record has said that what happened to the family, what happened to these individuals was not legal at all. Do you find it ironic that they were targeted in this way? That they were handled in this way? This is a protest about police brutality and they were brutalized by the police. All right, we're gonna continue to follow this story obviously. Ben, what are your thoughts on this case? Yeah, I mean, I can't help but connect this to what I've seen in Minneapolis because the reality is, right? Like when they were shouting the names of these folks and saying that they were like, you know, the family members of people who had previously been like killed by police officers, 
I think the police officers took that as an opportunity to explicitly target them. I would even put money on police officers knowing in advance that they were gonna be there and wanting to go out of their way to target these individuals in particular because Look, I've seen this in Minneapolis. When you have city council members in Minneapolis that talk about, you know, even just changing police funding, you have reports of police officers who are saying that they're not going to go into their districts. And then, of course, when the protests were happening after George Floyd was killed, there were literally city council members on the ground who were part of the protests, which were peaceful, by the way. Right. And you had police officers bumping up against them, making pretty threatening gestures. And then later that night, quite literally, firing tear gas directly in their direction when they were obviously with an eye shot. They know what they're doing, right? This is an act of intimidation, right? This is an, in, in my opinion, this is a threat from the police department to anybody who would dare challenge their unquestioned authority to commit brutal acts of violence with impunity. Well said. Let me show you one of the good guys, all right? As I said before, I don't hate the police. I'm not even anti-police, I'm anti-bad police, but I'm pro-good police. I like the conversation, here it is. ironic that decent behavior from law enforcement becomes newsworthy, but it is. Because it's such, it's such a deviation from the norm. Not only was he truthful and authentic, he said, basically, I'm glad you all are doing this. You just want your voices heard. I don't even wanna be here. I wanna be fighting real crime. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the man said. He said, I appreciate what you all are doing. Why can't that become the culture? I'm highlighting this because I still believe that policing done right can be effective. I still believe that. Unfortunately, too many of them do it wrong. So I highlight these moments that should not even really be newsworthy if everybody was doing their job properly. I highlight these moments to provide a contrast to the sick SOBs who do it wrong every day. So when they say things like we can't talk to anybody or we have to talk to protesters in an aggressive way or we're not able to talk to them, they're savages. When they say things like that and when they treat individuals as if they are the enemy from conversation, it doesn't have to be that way. This cop just proved. He engaged in thoughtful, authentic, transparent conversation. Not really a big deal, it's only a big deal because of the context 
of the fact that most of his colleagues would never talk that decently to anybody. Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, like all this really stems down to like who has the institutional power within these organizations, right? Is it people who actually want to make the world a better place or mm. is it the people who have like Nazi tattoos? And unfortunately, in a lot of police departments around the country, right, it's the white supremacists that have the institutional power. And it's very, very rare that you see any type of reform. And it's not like it's impossible. Like we just did a story a few minutes ago about how a new sheriff got elected that brought restorative justice practices in and they were capable of doing good things. But depending on like the politics of like whatever city you're at, you have to have leadership that is willing to look at a bad system and make sweeping changes. And maybe that means kind of like gutting out the existing police department and making big replacements. Maybe that means finding people who were whistleblowers who are punished for being whistleblowers and putting them in leadership positions, right? And you know, having a little bit of adversarial relationship with the toxic culture and the the sort of forces that have invested themselves into the institutional power of these organizations. Because if you don't do that, then you're not really gonna end up changing anything. You're so spot on and here's the sad reality. The officer we just highlighted, 99% likely would never become a commander, would never become a chief, would never become part of an institutional uh, dynamic where he supervises other cops. You know why? Because he talks like that. Because he's transparent with individuals they want him to be enemies of. All right. Very sad. Um, okay, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Okay. Let me read some of these comments. Mickey C, the silver hair dragon. Ben, you have to know that red is your color. All right, uh, Donald James X says, Ben, I saw your debate. I saw Ben, I saw her debate Charlie Kirk last night. Yay, uh, beautiful. How was that, Ben? Um, it was okay. It was really interesting. I mean, Charlie Kirk did with Charlie. I ended up laughing quite a bit because Charlie Kirk just kept throwing out like random nonsense instead of having a serious conversation. But that's kind of what right wingers do. They just like to make stuff up and then you know live in their own sort of fantasy world. It, and it at that point, you. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I debated Charlie Kirk, and I know exactly what you're talking about because Charlie had like a thousand sheets of paper in front of him, and it was all like from some obscure, non credible source that no one confirmed, right? And he's just quoting stuff and picking up sheets of paper. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you're right. That's how they get down. Uh, conversations on mute says an incredible story. Indeed, this man is a hero who protected and served. That's right. Uh, member for two months. Thank you for Brazil for being a double doser. Uh, Doc, you are rocking the bright colors today, and I love it. Well, thank you. All right, it's Friday. Anthony McClendon. Thank you, Anthony. Happy Friday, Doc. You said the cop uh, who killed Tamir Rice would be fired from his new job by next week. If what I read is true, he has already been fired. Good work, Doc. Give yourself more credit. I appreciate that. Uh, I give the credit to you all. We provided the information for you all to engage. That municipality directly, I called as well. The phone line was busy when I called, which means it was ringing off the hook, okay? Uh, but you're right, uh, and I have a follow up to that story. Uh, they went ahead and said, you need to withdraw your application. Uh, but I made it very clear right here, uh, th this will not this will not stand, all right? You can't kill a 12 year old child, murder a 12 year old child, be exonerated by your superiors that you work for, and get another job in policing. 
C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. This law enforcement officer did whatever it took to save a life, while other officers use whatever excuse they can take to they can to either take a life or wait on keys. Other officers need to take notes from him. That's right, 100% right. Uh, thank you again, C. Michael. This story about cops arresting the peaceful protesters further highlights my previous comment about the disparity between the first and second stories. Boom, there it is. You got it. You got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel French. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I'm at Walgreens. These guys are calling me here. They're here in our country. In our country. In our country. Get the Get out of my face, get her out. See, listen, this guy is threatening me. This guy is threatening me. Will you please, Walgreens, I'm having, there's a man threatening to hurt me. Get out of my face, honey, get out of my face, get out of my face. Want me to spit on you again? You need a mask, ma'am. Want me to spit on you ugly? Swear to you, if you do that again. What an ugly, 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 you don't come by in the bridge. People. How do you and there's Muslims here. God, you're ugly. No wonder people hate you. Israelis rule. Israelis rule. Israelis rule because you guys are ugly. Leave them alone. They're humans. Okay. This is a Karen we highlighted a few weeks ago. We did not have this part of the video, but I would tell you that it had, let's say, a good ending. Here it is. Under us battery. I didn't do any battery. No, when you spit on people, that's battery. No, I did not. Listen, he verbally abused me. Well, that doesn't give you the right to spit on him. Guess what? You verbally abused me as soon as I got here. Did I spit on you? You're under arrest for battery. No, nope. yep, definitely doing that. Hurts. Yeah, they're handcuffs. They're not for comfort. Let's I kicked my unbelievable. Well, I'll get a good attorney. God bless you. Yep, God bless me. God, because I'm a Christian. I, Christians don't talk like you. That's gonna happen. With a simple I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you, I'm not a racist. I have friends that are Muslim. No, okay, so those, those same Muslims that you were talking to just decided your fate and they elected to not Thank prosecute. You. God bless you. Yeah, God bless them. Because yeah. if it was up to me, you'd be going to jail. Yeah, you need to look and that I, up. And I go to Calvary Chapel. You need to, right. that's concerning. Yeah. Yeah, very concerning. Yeah, we'll talk to Pastor Doug. I, I will, actually. Right. I will talk to Pastor Doug and let him know how you feel about Sunday. different religions. Okay, for sure. Okay, yeah. 11 a.m. Pastor Doug is obviously a horrible pastor, if this is his parishioner. In addition to that, the officer, very appropriate in his response, said, yeah, you're going to jail. These are handcuffs, not meant for comfort. Privilege has been checked. Now, this individual, the Karen here, she said that she is in fact a Christian. How dare they treat her like this? She goes to the local tabernacle, church, whatever. I'm Christian, white, a woman who happens to support Trump. But she didn't say that, but I guarantee you, she supports Donald Trump. All right, here's the thing. I do have a bone to pick with the very nice people that she decided to assault. I get it, you all are decent individuals. You all are better than this person will ever be. 
But I need you to do me a favor. I need you to press charges next time. Her ass should have went to jail, okay? And I say that because we need to fight this as a community of anti-Karens. I need anti-Karens, listen to me and hear me clearly here. If we're ever going to defeat this epidemic, anti-Karens have to press charges every damn time. All right, Ben, am I wrong here? <laughs> um, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with you. Like now, to be honest, like I consider myself like a police abolitionist and a prison abolitionist, but that's the system that we got right now. And we all know who it's being used against and who it's not being used against, right? So there's a pretty stark imbalance there. And uh, you know, <laughs> but all that aside, I think there's like there's like a history lesson to learn from this, and that is that Americans have never really given up the sort of culture of colonialism. Because she shows up in their place of work, decides it's appropriate to spit on people, call people names, literally like she said that they weren't human, right? So dehumanizing people, bringing violence, making trying to say that everything should be organized around her. And then turn around saying, "Oh, but I'm a good Christian. I'm a, this is all fine because I'm a good Christian, right? And like that is like like just peak colonial mindset. And it's something that's kind of been embedded in our culture for a very long time. And the reason why I think it's important to call it what it is, is because if we don't recognize it for the roots that it is, if we don't recognize that this is something that's pervasive throughout American culture today, right? And specifically like white American culture today, then we can't really deal with it, right? These aren't isolated instances, they didn't come out of nowhere. And we really just need to recognize that fact. Yeah, and I know some people are, you know, they don't wanna really punish someone, they don't wanna press charges, you know, do it for me. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for me, okay? All right. All right, I got something for everybody, double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I should not be. I've never seen a drive-by Karen. I have never seen this before. It's something new. We have to add this to the guidebook on Karenicity here. Um, not sure what happened beforehand. I cannot rule out being that this may have been Karen or Karen criminal activity going down. I cannot rule that out. Both cars could have been doing some Karening back and forth. But I thought it was interesting when she started going one by one to everybody in that vehicle. Um, which for me, it's a Friday, we're gonna put it on indisputable. Being thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's so wild. Like, I don't understand why people can't calm down. But like, I guess I there's like a core psychology to it, right? Which is like, it's called the joy of being the cause, right? And 
it's uh, it's pretty wild. Basically, when people feel like they don't have a lot of control over their lives, they end up doing things that are very destructive in order to sort of reclaim control. And I think this sort of like wave of like just rampant like uh, sort of Karen behavior. Um, I think stems from that, right? I think stems from that. The society we live in is very alienating and people feel the need to like exert arbitrary power on random strangers. Um, and it's just deeply, deeply unhealthy. It's deeply unhealthy. Like it's not actually good for your mental health to be running around shouting at random people. Um, you know, from a car, yeah. like it's not, it's not good for you. Yeah, and it takes so much away from your day. You know, people are going to cut you off in traffic, it happens. Uh, individuals are going to beat the horn at you, it happens, right? Somebody may even look at you and you think, well, well, why are they looking at me so weird? It happens. But when you pause your life in order to give that energy the time of day, you now have to match that energy or you have to come stronger than that energy. You only have a certain amount of energy every day, that's it. If you exert a bunch of energy on BS, guess what happens? You don't have energy to be creative. You don't have energy to be innovative. You don't have energy to play with the kids or maybe to do a nice thing at the end of the day or have a good conversation with somebody you need to catch up with or just hang out, right? Let your hair down, take a load off. You don't have the energy to do it because you exerted it on some random ass Karen who got you out of character. All right, we got more. On the other side is indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Okay, let me read some of these amazing comments. Old Jam says, I have friends who are Muslim, not anymore. LOL, get the F out. Make you see the Sibir Dragon laughing my A off, that nerve pain, four year old Karen needs her mother to swat. Her ass and send her to her room for a while. Uh, Celador says she thought she was untouchable, then got all repent, repent, but she knew she was guilty. They took pity on her. They did. They should not have, but they chose to. All right. Uh, thank you, Chef. Chef Rockstar says you're the, you are 100% correct, and they should have pressed charges because by not doing so, they are reinforcing the Karenicity. She got away with it. So she'll do it again, that's right, I agree. That's why you gotta press charges. C. Michael Henson, thank you C. Michael. Karen says, I have nerve pain, which translates to, I have the need to get on your nerves uh, and Beautiful, thank you so much for joining the page. All right, he lied, lied and lied some more. Herschel Walker also misled his own campaign. After, remember, they said, oh, Herschel Walker never hid anything from us. He never hid his children, never hid his uh, previous other things, but he did. He lied to his own campaign and now there's serious conflict. Let's put up the picture of old Herschel, okay? This guy is running for the US Senate out of the state of Georgia against Dr. Reverend Raphael Warnock, current US Senator. Last poll shows Warnock in the lead. However, just a month ago, it showed Herschel Walker in the lead. Herschel Walker's campaign said he had never tried to hide his children, but he did even to his own campaign. So indisputable has previously covered Walker's many lies, including his lie about spending time at the FBI Academy. 
falsehoods about his past business venture. He said he graduated valedictorian from high school, said he graduated from college in criminal justice. None of that happened. Let's put up his campaign manager. Campaign manager is Scott Paradise. Scott Paradise has worked consistently to deflect attention away from all of the massive lies Walker has told. According to the Daily Beast, Walker was lying to his campaign from the beginning. When Herschel Walker's campaign aides approached him this winter to discuss whispers that Walker had a secret child, the Georgia GOP's candidate, Senate candidate, told his campaign, "Oh, the rumors are false. Walker's aides already knew he was lying. And now remember, I told you his nickname is lying ass Herschel Walker, okay? They had expected him to lie and obtain documents in advance of that conversation, verifying that Walker did indeed have another child. The Daily Beast has learned they handed the documents to him. And after some more back and forth, Walker finally admitted it was true. His aides asked if there were any other children they needed to know about. Walker insisted this was it, that was a lie too. Put up the picture of the campaign manager again. I don't think you all understand yet the insanity of the moment. They're treating Herschel Walker, the GOP Senate candidate like a baby. They're going to him like, now now, uh, Herschel, we need you to tell us the truth, Herschel. Is it you who fathered those children, Herschel? Oh, no, 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 dad, it wasn't me. Well, Herschel, can you explain this? That's how they're treating the guy because they can, okay? You think they would treat somebody else like that? Hmm? You think they would go and talk to them like a child like that? Of course not, but they did it to Herschel, why do you think? Okay. Even after the initial incident, he lied some more. When the Daily Beast learned about the existence of that 10 year old child in June and went to the campaign for comment, campaign manager Scott Paradise prepared a statement. But first, he went to Walker with a question. Be honest, are there any other kids? No, Walker said. Paradise then put out a statement insisting that Walker who at that point had only publicly acknowledged one child, his adult son Christian, was proud of his children. To suggest that Herschel is hiding the child because he hasn't used him in his political campaign is offensive and absurd, Paradise said in a statement. The very next day, the Daily Beast reached out again asking about yet another undisclosed child, a 13 year old. The campaign approached Walker, asked him again. This time, Walker acknowledged the teen was his. The campaign verified that the 13 year old was Walker's son and that he had yet another child, a daughter from his college days about 40 years ago. Okay, all right, campaign, let me help you all out, okay? When the Daily Beast broke the first story, they already knew about the other ones, okay? They just wanted you all to respond and lie and say, oh, this was it. And how dare you say he's hiding, all right? They played you, all right? Rightfully so, artfully done, Daily Beast, okay? Uh, an anonymous source and communications given to the Daily Beast depicts a lack of trust and confidence between the Walker uh, campaign and Walker himself. So emails and text messages, what they show 
are advisors discussing how they do not trust Herschel Walker. Both to tell the truth to them and to handle campaign events properly. And harboring concerns that he is not mentally fit for the job, you don't say. He spouts falsehoods like he's breathing, the advisor said. So much so that his own campaign stopped believing him long ago. He's lied so much that we don't know what's true, the person said. Adding that aides have zero trust in the candidate. Three people interviewed for this article independently called him a pathological liar. Yes, he is. Just like the man who endorsed him, Donald J. Trump. Okay, so if you got the energy for Herschel Walker, damn it, you better have that same energy for Trump. So they know that he's a liar. They know that he manipulates. They know that he's probably keeping other secrets. And what do they do? They manipulate the people around him. They manipulate the audiences that come to hear him speak or fumble through words, basically. But they manipulate the campaign message in order to make you believe that somehow Herschel Walker is mentally fit, that somehow this guy is actually able to read. Did I say that out loud? I meant to say that somehow this guy is actually telling the truth. All right. Uh, I think Herschel can probably read. Right? Okay. Uh, now, Walker's aides are struggling to prevent him from doing campaign events. They do not want him to damage the image any further. The strategy is now to keep Walker off of television, according to the report. They no longer want him on TV. They want to keep him on script, this person said, except he doesn't listen. The campaign source said he doesn't take direction because he comes from a place where he says, I have built myself up in the media for years. He screws up on Fox News where people agree with him. So the idea of him taking an adverse interview or interacting with people who don't agree with him is a non-starter. The advisor said, likening the prospect to sending him into the lion's den. But you all selected him because Trump told you to, okay? All right, so I don't feel sorry for you at all, okay? All right, Ben, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, there's two big components to this. The first is has been covered widely, and that is just the fact that among the Republicans, generally speaking, there is this sort of like main character syndrome, this extremist individualism where you believe that you're the only person of consequence in the world. And as a result, you're totally comfortable lying to everybody around you. But then the other side of this is like, how much do you have to get paid as like a campaign staffer to work for somebody to actively try to put somebody into a position of power who you know is not only lying to the general public, but is also lying to you. You're theoretically supposed to be part of like the inner circle of the campaign team running things and he's even lying to you. So like this is why and this is like across the board, like one of the reasons why like people that work for the Republican Party and Republican candidates tend to make a bit more than people working for Democratic candidates is because of this type of thing. Like a lot of these folks, like you really have to question like their commitment to really any anything regarding the campaign and anything regarding like right wing politics. For a lot of these folks, it's just a grift. They're just self-interested and it's like, you know, like it's just this huge, huge trend that exists, which is like on one hand, deeply hilarious, but on another hand, really sad and speaks to like how like kind of like falling apart our democracy is where yeah. people are just willing to like sell out and like work for people who they know to be completely untrustworthy. Not only untrustworthy, but incapable of doing the basic functions of the job. I mean, damn, politicians lie, that's a dime a dozen. 
But you literally believe the guy cannot actually work in the US Senate. And you're still promoting the falsehood. We told you all there was a cop, cop who killed 12 year old Tamir Rice was rehired. We did this show earlier in the week. Actually, we did it yesterday. And I told you on that day, this new hire will not stand. Well, guess what? Uh, he will not be a police officer again. Application has been withdrawn. Let's put up the picture of him being sworn in. The officer who was about to get another job as a police uh, as a police officer, but it has now come to a close. The former cop who shot and killed Tamir Rice has withdrawn his application to be a cop in a rural Pennsylvania town, according to the municipality and local leader. The announcement comes after Timothy Lohman was reported to have joined the local police department. This is a photo of him being sworn in, it went viral on social media. Effective this morning, this is the quote, effective this morning. Timothy Lohman has officially withdrawn his application for the Tioga Borough police position. Tioga Council President Steve Hazlett posted on his Facebook page. The same account he used to share a photo of Lohman being sworn in. Now, if you remember on yesterday, I put up the information of that local jurisdiction and I encouraged you to call them to express your outrage that this cop would be hired anywhere after killing an unarmed 12 year old child. Well, you did that. As a matter of fact, you did it so much that when I called and I called, the line was busy the entire day. That means that you all were calling. I knew, I felt. Um, the mayor wanted to do the right thing based on his statement. However, there's a disconnect because the mayor ends up saying that he didn't even read the resume. Uh, members of council started saying they were unaware of his connection to that killing, to the killing of Tamir Rice. Uh, you mean to tell me that nobody Googled the guy? I, I, I don't understand this. Either you're lying or you're completely negligent, right? It's one or the other, nothing in between. Uh, and here's the other dynamic. Um, they were going to make him chief within 90 days. He had this fast track plan to become chief of police within 90 days. It was already stated for the record. Uh, the comments for this announcement were replete with people calling for Tioga Borough. Council President Steve has led to resign. Let's put up Steve's pick. He played a large role in the hiring of Lowman. Now remember, they are claiming ignorant. They are claiming they are ignorant to the history of this cop. Another thing that's that must be noted for the record, the George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act would have mandated the reporting of the background of this cop and that reporting would have been available for me and you and that city council. Uh, prior to the hiring, a little more than a year after the shooting, um, Heslet took to Facebook uh, to uh, disparage Rice as a dumb person and suggest he invited his own death. Let's put it up, we got it. Dumb enough to pull a fake gun, dumb enough to get shot. Now, you still think this was a mistake? The guy who really led the effort to hire the killer of Tamir Rice posted something disparaging about Tamir Rice in a public forum and blamed the 12 year old for his own death and ends up being the official who led the hiring. Mayor David Wilcox, let's put him up. Previously stated that it was uh, that 
it was responsible for the hiring interview process that he was not part of that process. But according to the borough's website, it says the mayor is responsible for overseeing police department administration while the council council, excuse me, handles day-to-day operations. All right, pass the pickle, hide the pickle, and blaming everybody. Yeah, they all knew. They all knew. Okay, they all knew. Uh, the reason why this cop is not going to be their police chief is because we got involved. All of us who said no. All right, Ben, thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, like, like it's so clear as day. They're not angry that they got tricked into potentially hiring the cop that killed Tamir Rice. They're angry that they got caught going out of their way trying to hire the cop that killed Tamir Rice. I mean, if this mayor actually cared, he'd be looking at the entire department and everybody that was involved in the hiring process and ask some serious questions about their records. He'd be doing a deep dive. He'd be combing through their records with meticulous detail. He would be asking what records had been destroyed, what what things had been deleted about like potential like reprimanding that the, these police officers have had in the past, right? If he actually cared, he would ask serious questions about the kind of ship that he is running in his town. Uh, but that's not happening, right? And like, unfortunately, my guess is, is this is gonna be a game of whack-a-mole where this cop is probably gonna find some other town where he's gonna hope that he can get hired without people looking at it too much. And it's gonna be playing this game, (laughs) playing this game all across the country because there are cops like this that do this all the time. They, They will do something terrible that a lot of police support They'll get fired from their one position and then they'll get cycled off somewhere, usually in the middle of nowhere, like you know, this guy trying to get a job in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, yep. and, and hope that nobody's paying attention. That's right. All right. Uh, and, rem- and remember, none of them said, oh, I can't believe that he misled us. I can't believe he wasn't truthful with us. Like none of them said that. The reason is because they all knew they just wanted to get away with it and did not. Okay. All right. Um, horrific. Horrific story, okay? Um, We have the drowning of a child. We're gonna talk about that on the other side. It's very horrific uh, and accountability needs to be applied. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Thank you for remaining with us. Okay, very, very sad story. A black four year old child drowned during a supervised swimming lesson. And the people who decided to not actually supervise him are not being held accountable. Let's put up his picture full mass. This four year old, the death this four year old child was announced on Wednesday by the Burke County Sheriff's Office. The child's family is seeking answers. That child's name is Israel Scott, look at him. Israel Scott was attending his second supervised swimming lesson before the incident, the tragedy occurred at a residential pool on June 14th. Family Steele is seeking answers. The county deputies, here's your background. The county deputies arrived on the scene after 11 a.m. that Tuesday. They were informed that the toddler was found unresponsive in a pool before a nurse on the scene performed CPR. First responders transported him to a local hospital where he died. Let's put up a picture of the family. 
This family has been turned upside down, inside out. The mother was nervous about even allowing her four year old to engage in swimming practice. There's more to this story. On June 15th, Israel's mother, Doris Scott, posted an emotional message on Facebook along with a series of happy and energetic photos of her late son. She said, and I quote, my heart has been ripped out of my chest. I can't believe that I would never see my baby boy again, Scott wrote. Cherish every moment with your babies, hug them tight because you never know. I would have never imagined that I would only get four years with my little man. My life would never be the same. Grieving mother recalled her son being nervous when she signed him up for a week, just one week of swim lessons last month. But he was so excited to start his journey according to the shade room. Scott told the outlet that the instructor, let's put her picture up. The instructor whose name is Lexi Currington Tenhusen did not did not allow parents to sit in on swimming lessons. So the mother by rule of this instructor that you're looking at right here, the mother had to leave her child under the supervision of that instructor and wait in her car. You know, if the mother was there, the mother would have saved a child, the mother would have supervised properly her child, but this instructor had a rule. The rule was no parents allowed. A lady comes and she knocks on my window, Scott recounts that grim day. I'm sitting in the car and she's like, come get your baby. And when she said that, she said it kind of rude like, then I looked at her face and saw like tears in her eyes. So initially I knew something was wrong. I just started screaming. No foul play has been suspected according to the Burke County Sheriff's Office, Captain Jimmy Wilds. An investigation into whether criminal negligence was involved in Israel's death is ongoing per the shade room. Can I be very clear? This is very simple. That instructor had a duty of responsibility and obligation of care. This was criminal negligence. This child is dead, that woman is free. I want you to imagine it this way, cuz I know people are gonna push back and say, hey doc, you know it was just a mistake, it was a tragedy. I want you to think about something. Imagine if a white mother took a white child to an all black swimming camp. Imagine if the black instructor told the white mother you cannot stay here while I train or instruct your white child in this water. The white mother goes to her car. The black instructor does not pay attention and the white child dies. Do you think the Burke County Sheriff's Office would be as, let's say, forgiving? Defense attorney Lee Merritt, who was representing the Scott family, revealed to the outlet that the family was refunded their money by the instructor for the week session, but offer no apologies, no apologies in the wake of the devastating tragedy. Curitan Tenhusen 
has since removed her business and personal Facebook pages. Let's put a picture up again. I want you to know what she looks like, okay? She didn't even apologize to the family. Now, could the four-year-old swim? No, that's the entire reason why the four-year-old was there because he can't swim. Ben, thoughts on this case? Yeah, I mean, just like not offering an apology is like absolutely absurd. Everything about this is absurd. Like. Not allowing parents, it doesn't make any sense, right? You're taking on a responsibility. If you're gonna put in place a rule, an additional rule that says you're not gonna have other adults there in the room, right? Well, then you are taking on an additional responsibility, That's unnecessarily right. so, which is inevitably putting children at risk. If you're teaching kids how to swim, you know that by definition they don't know how to swim, right? So it's just it's unbelievably negligent. It's it's negligent all around and like <laughs> Literally, I, I can't imagine any any good reason for a rule like that being in place. Like, like I can't imagine any good reason for a rule like that being in place, especially when you've got like little kids. Obviously, yeah. you can only pay attention to so many kids at once. So you'd wanna have more people in That's the right. room. There's no good reason, there's a bad reason. And I think the bad reason is the instructor did not wanna be held accountable, accountable to actually pay attention as she should have. And she knows or she knew that parents would do so. All right, Ben, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Carollo, and uh, you can check me out at Rebel Headquarters. And you can catch me on the Young Turks Twitch channel every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern uh, with my show Galaxy Brain. Thank you, my friend, as always. All right, we got more on the other side. The bullpen is next, stick and stay. All right, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back. In the bullpen, we have my dear brother, conservative, a little politically misguided, but a good guy. Uh, Armstrong Williams, third generation Republican entrepreneur, uh, as well as media executive, broadcaster, radio host, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mr. Williams, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? Life is what you make it, but it's always good to join you. Same here, brother. Always good to have you. All right. You know, I know this is this is a different type of debate because you happen to be friends with Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife Jenny Thomas. <laughs> and brother, you and I have gone at it about this couple before. So for this debate. We're going to hyper focus on her potential testimony with the January 6th investigative committee and the interplay with her on record comments about the election. So, I don't want to presume what you know or believe about Ms. Thomas and her willingness or lack thereof to testify, or even if it's necessary. So, if you would give us your sentiment, I would then opine. So listen, you know, um, Jenny is no different than what conservatives criticize on the left as leftist activists. She's a conservative activist. Um, she's made it clear that she would welcome going before the January 6th committee. Uh, I think you and I both will agree that the lifeblood of democracy is transparency. Um, things are better seen, heard, and understood in the sunshine than it is in the dark. I'm reluctant to talk about 
many of the details about this because of my close relationship with the justice. Jenny knows how to defend herself. She is a lawyer. Um, her lawyer, Mark Paoletta, appeared before the committee uh, over a month ago and acquitted himself very well. And I think he answered many of the questions that the committee had. Obviously, there are ties between she and one of Thomas's former clerks, um, Mr. Eastman. But he made it clear that he had no conversations ever with the justice of Jenny about anything that he was doing. I think what you need to do is uh, uh, have our peer, if that's what happens. I don't think it's gonna happen because it's an invite, not a subpoena. I think after the um, January 6th committee heard her lawyer, Mark Paoletta, they don't want to further embarrass themselves, uh, take people down some rabbit hole where they're not gonna find any smoking gun. So we have to differentiate between an invite and a subpoena. But if she does testify, then you make your evaluations when you have all the facts, just like Watergate. You had all the suspicion, you had all the in your windows, and then it went before um, the investigative body, and people came away with their own judgments. Uh, they don't need any vetting from us, let the process vet itself. But I have no doubt that if she does go and testify, uh, as she's always been, um, She's been very transparent and very open about her activism and her support for Donald Trump. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. Uh, do I believe she crossed the line? There's no question she crossed the line. I mean, she should always consider the impact this will have on her husband, whether he's in the dark or not. The bottom line, this is not something that I don't believe any Supreme Court justice's wife um, should be involved in, but she wants her independence. She has always been this way. This has always been Jenny. And now she's in the crosshairs of the January 6th committee. And there's so much about her and her integrity and her judgment, which is now being questioned. Yeah, all right. So let's let's unpack some of the, these things you said, all right? So you said she's willing to testify, which by the way, she did say that. She told uh, the Daily Caller that her exact quote was, I can't wait to clear up misconceptions. I look forward to talking to them. Then, however, Mr. Armstrong, one day after the testimony of Ms. Hutchinson, a former aide to the White House, a former aide to Trump. One day after that testimony, her attorney comes out with an about face and says, not only is she not going to testify, she's not going to testify because of all the stress that's happening to her and that she really doesn't have anything to add. He, he said, I'm unclear as to why she would even be called to testify. Bottom line is, she said she would testify, and then they do an about face, and her attorney releases a statement saying that she would not testify. I agree with you. I think the best way for an actionable democracy is through transparency. I agree. Let the lady talk. But I got some smoke also for the January 6th, 6th committee, because as you said, they continue to issue letters of invite. They're doing the same thing or did the same thing for a few other people. Uh, the reality is they have the ability to subpoena. Why send a request when you can send a mandate? I have a theory. I don't believe the January 6th committee as, as necessary as it is. I still think it is more political than probative. I think it is contextualized in a way to win the midterm elections and to loosen Trump's grip on the Republican Party overall, but is not willing to actually take down existing institutions by going after institutional norms 
or entities that are connected to massive institutions like the Supreme Court. So they won't subpoena Jenny Thomas because she's connected to the institution of the court. They won't subpoena Mike Pence, the former VP, even though the Constitution provides no protection for Mike Pence after he's out of office. They won't subpoena him because he's connected to the institution of the presidency. So I think their goal is massively political, not simply a goal that says we want to uncover everything that happened. Now remember Armstrong, that's the front leaning narrative. The front leaning narrative is they want to uncover everything that happened. But when it comes to uncovering it, they will send out letters to certain people and subpoenas to others. Why do you think there's such a massive difference? Well, I think you've touched on something which I think is very important. Um, with the January 6th committee. I actually think that both sides, the Republicans and Democrats are more in the tank together than you can imagine. I think Mm. the ultimate goal is for Republicans because they don't have the guts or the backbone to stand up to Trump because they are afraid of his um, constituency power across the country, which they've seen in these recent midterm elections. And so what they want to happen is for the Democrats in their own way to do their bidding. The bottom line is that neither side wants to see Trump run for office again. Democrats feel because it's just not for the good of the country with these kind of allegations. And it's even his mannerism um, when he was president of the United States, how many people felt how divided the country wasn't for Republicans. They just need to find a way for him to go away. They just want him to go away. They don't want to be forced to vote for Donald Trump again or to debate Donald Trump again. So, it, so they need to find a way to indict him so he cannot run for office again. And you're right. This is not a principal court. This is a political court. It's not about bringing the Supreme Court, Janet Thomas. It's not about bringing Meadows with the White House. You're absolutely correct. They have one goal in mind, to continue to destroy the credibility, show Donald Trump for exactly who he is and portray him as the monster when they said these people are armed on that day, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. They said the vice president's life was threatened, yep. they didn't care. And so even if, um, the young lady you just mentioned who testified before the committee, even if she says that um, the president tried to commandeer the, the vehicle and the, C- and the Secret Service disputes that, this is about Donald Trump. They want to wrap him up and they both have their own agenda and they're using each other and the national platform of the media to do so. Because it's the only way the Republicans can say, hey, This is the conclusion and what they want to do is try to turn not opinion polls against Trump, but Trump's constituency against him. Because once they begin to see those numbers drop, then they begin, they believe they have the credibility to say, well, we're gonna vote with the committee to stop the president, but they need to see that. Mr. Armstrong, I only have two minutes left before the next show comes on. Uh, It's not gonna work. Mr. Armstrong, I'm telling you brother, it's just not going to work. They're not connected to Trump because Trump is truthful or likable, none of that. Trump was right when he said, listen, I can commit murder, my people are still gonna follow me. He knew exactly what he tapped into while we were still laughing about his commentary and comments referencing Republican supporters. The reality is brother, the only way, the only way you stop Trump is through arrest, indictment, prosecution. That's the only way you stop this guy. Maybe you get a plea deal where he agrees not to ever seek a position of public trust again, including board membership, maybe you get that. But if you don't go that far, if you're not willing to go that far, and that's one of my biggest beefs with this particular committee, because the chairman came out and said, listen, we're not gonna make a criminal referral to the DOJ. And then it took the Republican Liz Cheney to say, hold on, Mr. Chair, we we didn't make that decision as a committee. All right, we haven't made that decision yet. 
I don't think the DOJ wants to be in a position to indict. I don't think they want the political pressure from the January 6th committee to indict. I think Biden is an institutionalist at heart. He doesn't want the, the sanctity of the presidency to be an indictable thing. But listen, man, at this point, it is what it is. If you don't you, indict wait, Trump, you can't indict you and I, nobody. You and, I, you and I agree, but guess what? Biden also thinking about in a few months, the Republicans could possibly control the Senate and the House, yes. and they will go out to his son. That's Listen, also fine. In the back of his mind. That's one person. I get it, brother. I get it, and I hate how I sound. Damn it, I don't care. I don't care if you are going to prosecute a potential dictator of this country who has done enough to be prosecuted, enough to be charged, enough to go in jail for the rest of his life. I don't care. You do it because you want to save the nation. Damn, trying to protect. Your own uh, presidency or institution, and I dare say, even Hunter Biden. If Hunter did crimes, Hunter has to face the music. That's it. You can't throw the whole country under the bus because you're trying to protect one individual. Am I wrong here, brother? We got 30 seconds. You know, brother, I think you and I agree more today than <laughs> most people can imagine or interpret it. I think we're on the same page, and that's a good thing for democracy. But the bottom line, the lifeblood of democracy is transparency in the sunshine. So all can see and come to their conclusions. There it is. Brother, always Judge Liz. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you. All right. We got Galaxy Brain next. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's a racist policy, racist policy, Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're going to get it, though.